JC Corcoran Podcast. And I don't know what to do when somebody says something I don't agree with. I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a person. I've always grappled with that. I walk up, this woman says, animals are smarter than people. I'm like, oh, jeez. I just got here. I look at the others like, anybody want to take this? Low-hanging fruit. I just took the hit over at that little circle. If somebody could step up to the plate here so I could hang around for a little longer than two minutes. But nobody else is even looking up. They're shuffling their shoes and trying to figure out the dynamic. They must work for her. Something's going on. But I couldn't say nothing. But I didn't want to make a big deal out of it either. I don't know these people. So I decided to make a light-hearted joke. So I said, oh, how do animals do on the SAT test? <laughs> just, just a little ha-ha-ha. I didn't get the ha-ha-ha. I just felt the temperature drop. And this woman glares at me and says, animals are smarter than people. Like, case closed. Well, I can't take that. But before I could say anything, she said, what about the beavers? Forcing me to say, what about the beavers? So she explains to me, she said, the beavers are smarter than people. They know how to all get in the water and they all know how to gather sticks and bring them to one area and they know how to put mud on their tails and slap the sticks together and they can affect the flow of a river. Hoover Dam. Smart, stupid. <laughs> Human engineering, pile of muddy sticks. So I asked her, if you hired a company to build a dam and they all got out of their trucks and they all started getting in river water and started gathering twigs and nosing them around on the surface of the water. Would you be on the riverbank? Look how smart they are! <laughs> no, I'm just getting warmed up. Happy to see you again. Don't be nervous. Don't be rocky. You're a teenage guest is jockey now. And let me begin by wishing you a beautiful... Like, look. Did that voice inside you say I've heard it all before It's like deja vu all over again It is Monday, September 25th, 2023 and you 
or at jconthelawn.com. How you doing, kids? Well, we had an exciting weekend around here because we had multiple birthdays in the house, the biggest one of which being my daughter, who turned 14 on Saturday. Shares a birthday with Bruce Springsteen. Not bad. And then mine was the day after. Mine was yesterday. Somebody sent me this. Since the day you were born, your heart is beat 2.58 billion times. You blinked 434,400 million times. You've slept 196,000 hours. You've been alive 36.8 million minutes. You've taken 551.9 million breaths. And you've consumed 1,540 gallons of milk. I'll believe everything up until that last one, that milk one. I love cheese. I love dairy products. But no milk. For I haven't had milk. Well, let me think about this. I'm going to give you an absolutely honest answer. Milk, milk. When was the last time I drank milk? Maybe I was about 15 years old. You know, America is one of the few industrialized nations that is still drinking milk. Yeah, when you're a little kid, you need to drink milk for your bones, you know, and your overall development and stuff like that. But once you turn adult, most doctors will tell you milk really isn't that good for you. I was watching a TV show once when I was a kid, and I made the mistake of watching how milk is manufactured, and after I saw it, and then I went to a farm and saw the milk and cows and smelled everything. You know, there's nothing worse than stale milk. You know, I'll tell you that um, one of those things that, you know, when you're young and you start fooling around sexually and somebody says, did you ever try it with whipped cream? And you're like, well, it does sound interesting. Let's go ahead and get the whipped cream out. And then you actually do it and it smells horrible because you know what? It smells like stale milk. And then, of course, the hot lighting from you taking video of this makes it even even worse. I think it's one of those things you do once until you're divorced and then you start messing with wild women and they all want to do it. Maybe I just uh, volunteered too much information there. Took these money-grubbing studios five months, but they finally figured it out. And it sounds like the writers got a great deal. The writers got increases in salary they got increases in the number of writers minimum that you have to have on a show got pension benefits increased get the ai thing which was the major sticking point it sounds like to me based on what i've seen and what i've read but they get the ai thing pushed way to the side and now people are just running around going how soon can we get new shows back on the air And like I said, it's a little more complicated than that. Initially, I said it's going to take a minimum week to 10 days, maybe even two weeks. There's 200 people involved in your typical late night show. Plus, they're scattered all over the country. A lot of people went home and lived with friends or with family members or whatever because they were broke. Now, all those people got to figure out a way to get back to the major population centers, primarily Los Angeles and New York. Got to get back there. Got to get situated. Got to start booking guests, musical acts. Got to write some jokes. Just get back to the swing of things. And then after it was hinted on Friday that maybe a deal was close, there were some people saying, oh, we could be back on the air in a couple of days. And I was like, I I don't buy that, but that's what they're saying. Well, today it's back to sometime next month. But next month is next week. So it's fast. But even the daytime shows like Drew Barrymore and stuff like that, 
They can get those shows back on very, very quickly. And then something like Bill Maher, who seems to uh, be hell-bent on the idea of ruining his career and making everybody who used to like him hate him. You know what he was doing over the weekend? There was a clip that showed up on uh, Facebook. And I don't watch his internet show, but I see a lot of the clips. And I'll watch the clips if it's something good. He's had Jim Gaffigan on recently, and there were two big things that came out of the Gaffigan thing. One of which, Bill Maher was basically saying the writers don't really have much of a case because they act like they deserve or entitled to a job. Gaffigan was sitting there going, ah, Jesus, everybody likes me. I have no enemies, but this guy sitting across from me, Bill Maher, just said something that if I don't say something to qualify that, people are going to think I'm complicit in this and I can't do that either. And you could almost just hear the gears turning in his head. So then he's got Julian Lennon on the other day. And, you know, Julian Lennon has suffered from, you know, horrifying bouts with depression. And if you ever had really serious depression or you know somebody who did, you know that this isn't just sort of like, well, I feel bummed out about something. My girlfriend left me, which is what Bill Maher was saying. And I can't believe that he either doesn't know or he's acting like he doesn't know that depression on a grand scale is a chemical imbalance in your brain that's just as debilitating as kidney disease or heart failure or circulation problems or you know heart disease or any of those things. It is a medical problem. And the stuff he was saying was like, Bill, Bill, you can't convince me that you don't know the difference. You can't convince me that you're sitting there trying to basically make the case for the idea that people who say they're depressed should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get it together. Keep in mind, I've been one of Bill Maher's major proponents. When his show got pulled off of Channel 30 after his controversial and pretty stupid comments about 9-11, there were a handful of affiliates around the country that were still running the show. And I had one of those big 10-foot satellite dishes in my backyard, and I was able to pull in stations from all over the country. And so in St. Louis, from time to time, you would hear me play segments from Bill Maher's show, Politically Incorrect, which was no longer running in St. Louis, but which was running in some other cities, and I did all that. And a couple of times when I interviewed Bill Maher, I brought that up, and it's to the point now where he knows what I've done for him over the years and has thanked me in interviews. I could play the clips back, you know, where he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, St. Louis, you're the guy who uh, played the clips back and kept the show alive. Thank you. He was very gracious about it. I don't know. I don't know. People change. And for whatever reason, Bill Maher has turned into a crusty old fuck who is becoming more and more difficult to stomach. Then you put the plants in the audience in, and it's even crazier. Television shows have done this for decades, where you put people into the crowd who work for the show, and if a joke is bombing or something like that, some guy will go, oh, ha, ha, ha. you know, laughter is contagious, and, and sometimes people will just start laughing simply because the guy sitting next to them starts laughing, but they don't understand he works for the television show. He's there as a plant, and the plants on real time, you can hear them week after week. I could isolate the audio and play them. There's guys way in the back who laugh really, really hard. And then there's a guy with almost like a wheezing type laugh that's there 
every Friday night. He laughs too much, and he laughs too loud, and he laughs at things that aren't particularly funny, and he's there to try to save a joke. And for a show that, you know, ostensibly is trying to appeal to people who have, you know, higher education level, more interested in politics, more interested in news, sort of a more sophisticated crowd who has to understand satire. And I do that on Facebook all the time. I'll put something up that's satirical and people, it goes right over their head and it's so depressing. It's like you didn't get the joke. And again, for Mars show, which is at least at face value saying, yeah, we're trying to appeal to a more intelligent crowd out there. They sure are treating us like we're stupid, like we can't figure this out. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bill Maher tried to put a show on this Friday night. And I think by next Friday night, you should see everybody back in production or very, very close to it. Like I said, it might only take about a week. We'll see. Powerball, $378 million tonight. I have not brought up the Taylor Swift story about her being at the Kansas City game yesterday. What makes me laugh is people, you know, I put stuff up like that as soon as they had the first picture of her in the press box. I put that up before anybody. I was like, I'll be darned. She's actually there. And I'm thinking to myself, not hurting anybody, you know. Maybe it's a little romance there. You know, she's obnoxious. She's also overexposed. And Travis Kelsey, to be honest with you, is getting that way too. He's on every fucking commercial that's on TV right now. So she shows up yesterday sitting with Travis Kelsey's mom in the press box, acting awfully excited about the game, really, really seriously into it. And then, you know, walking through the clubhouse and out of the building yesterday, not hand in hand, pretty close, but walking side by side. All right, so they'll date for a while. And then they'll find out that their schedules don't really coincide very well. They don't have anything in common. And they'll break up. She'll write a song about him. And she'll move on to somebody else, and so will he. But in the meantime, not hurting anybody. Let him have some fun. So what? Well... The haters come out, and it was fucking payday yesterday. But, you know, that's what we do in this country. We uh, root for the underdog or for somebody struggling or becoming famous, and then they get famous, and we idolize them, and then we get tired of looking at them. We start knocking them down. But, you know, again, just for the record, they're not hurting anybody. They're not doing anything that should bother you. If you have a sister-in-law, ladies... And she came in with the story. Hey, I met this guy. He's a professional athlete. He invited me to the game. We really had a good time. He seems like a nice guy. I'm going to start seeing this guy. It would be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Sort of like it was on Channel 4 this morning. And then take a look at this video from right after the game. The two leaving Arrowhead together. Kelsey's outfit, by the way, from a clothing line called 1989 Bedroom Painting Set. Travis said it at the beginning of the game that she was there, but he always says yeah. a lot of things. Right. You think it's going to believe so, him or not? Yes. It's, like the, no. it's like the pass route. He makes yes. stuff up. You just don't he, know. Yes, he does. He oh always says gosh. it calmly, they say, so they never know what's oh. coming. Couldn't believe it. I kept telling myself, I'll believe it when I see her on camera in yeah. a sweep. Boom. There she was. Yep. No Super Bowl pressure, though. Oh, no. No. <laughs> this was bigger than Super Bowl for him, probably. <sighs> Oh. And, he, and Kelsey winds up with a touchdown. Mm -hmm. Love it. it. Sounds like the mean girls sitting together at the lunchroom table in junior high. And then they proceeded to do a Cardinal baseball story and referred to him as Ollie Marmol. I don't understand what the deal is. This guy's been around now for over a year. You'd think it was some sort of complicated multi-syllabic name. It's two syllables. Marmol. Like marble. Marmol. And for some reason, people want to change it to Marmol, which is incorrect. 
and even sports people. Sports people. Now with the sports, here's Bob. Well, Ollie Marmol. Right there, your credibility is shot. You're going to do a story. You're going to tell me the sports, and you're already mispronouncing the name of the manager. Time to change the station. Got a great Monday night game tonight, not just because it's here. Here's another one of these guys. He sort of like, you know, had Johnny Manziel's disease, comes flying out of college as one of the biggest superstars ever, and then proceeds to just completely fuck up and not take things seriously and gets traded a couple of times. Looks like the career is just going nowhere. And like I said, a guy who comes flying out of collegiate football into the NFL with all the promise there is. And I'm getting the idea that sometime in the last year, he must have woke up and said, you know what? This whole thing is going to get, just going to end up in my lap, dead as a doornail. I better start taking this more seriously, or this whole thing will be over. This is basically my last shot, and he's playing like it. Now, the Bucks are 2-0, but they haven't played anybody good. Tonight, they get Philadelphia, and we're going to find out what Baker Mayfield is all about. We're going to find, you know what? I'd even go this far. Even if the Bucks lose, it's still going to be interesting to see how Baker Mayfield does in this situation. Very, very good game tonight. But Miami putting 70 on the board against Denver. Mizzou is uh, ranked now number 23 in the nation. They'll probably come crashing back to earth this weekend when they start conference play against Vanderbilt. See Notre Dame. They played the first two downs in this incredibly big football game over the weekend. Notre Dame and Ohio State for the first two plays. Notre Dame only had 10 players on the field. There is some prep. And the announcement of Usher as the Super Bowl halftime show entertainment really went over like a pregnant pole vaulter. Well, you know what? It's too much pressure watching the Super Bowl now. You got to sit there, you got to watch the game, you got to watch every commercial because otherwise you don't have any idea what people are talking about on Monday morning. And you got to say, oh my God, that halftime show. Did you see when he did this and when he did that? Well, now you can take a nice, long, leisurely bathroom break for 15 minutes during halftime. The only Usher song I think I know is that one that just keeps going boop, boop. For like four minutes. And they never do anything else in the song. Just that. And somebody said, sign that motherfucker. He's a superstar. We've never had anybody come in here before and go. Get ACDC in there and let him just blow the roof off the dump. Super Bowl this year is February 11th in Las Vegas. I did this this morning on the radio show on KWOLF 101.5 and 101.7. We stream at KWOLF.com. I'm on from 5.30 to 10 every morning there. And this this stopped me dead in my tracks as soon as I get through the first sentence of the story. There's a new report out on the most dangerous NFL stadiums. And I'm like, why are there any? Seems to me if I'm the NFL and somebody says, you know, we got a couple of really dangerous stadiums here, that the NFL would step in immediately and they go, well, we don't want any dangerous stadiums. Let's get some more security, some more cops in there because we, we shouldn't have this. Instead, you've got people ranking how dangerous each NFL stadium is. That's fucked up. It's Denver, by the way. 
And some of this takes into consideration not just what happens inside the stadium during the game, but also just in the neighborhood around it. Seattle, second most dangerous, followed by Detroit. You knew that was coming. Minnesota and the Chiefs. I haven't been to a game at Arrowhead since I've been in my 20s. I used to live in Omaha. We used to drive down and see the Chiefs games all the time. The stadium with the most crimes that have been witnessed by fans. Lincoln Financial Field, where the Philadelphia Eagles play. Dallas is second, then New England, then New York for the Giants and the Jets, and then the Browns. In a survey, more than 3,000 NFL fans they found that 40 that's a big survey, by the way. Nearly 40% of fans say they'd witnessed a crime in or around an NFL stadium, and 7% said that they themselves had been victims of one of the crimes themselves. And like I said, why are any of the stadiums dangerous? If you see a picture of Pauly Shore right now, especially if he messes with his hair a little bit, and then you put Richard Simmons side by side, they really do look sort of similar. Paulie Short trying to cash in on that. He wants to make this biopic about Richard Simmons. Richard is, you know, waning away. I suspect you'll hear something about him. Check it out fairly soon. He is living in seclusion, doesn't want to be involved. Paulie Shore, somebody, you know, I'll live to be a thousand and not understand how that kid ever became famous. I understand his parents are famous. I get it. Not enough. There is a British dating show called Naked Attraction, and it's on Max now. Contestants actually choose for, for potential dates by seeing them completely naked first. And yes, it does show full frontal nudity. I will say this. I mean, technically, it probably would remove most tension from the dating situation. Now oh, we got this out of the way. I've seen you naked. Now, let's find out if we have anything in common. Dolly Parton just released another song from her album, Rockstar. It's a cover of that 1993 4-non-blind-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s
I don't know what the people at Kraft and Heinz are thinking. That's one company now, Kraft and Heinz. I don't want to absorb the other one. Anyhow, they're selling gummy candy versions of Kraft mac and cheese, Oscar Mayer hot dogs, and Kloss and pickles for Halloween. They're making gummy candy that tastes like hot dogs. Maybe you could make hot dogs that taste like hot dogs. Target, Walgreens, Family Dollar, and Dollar General all have them. Limited edition Costco-themed version of Monopoly came out this month, and it's already sold out online. They were selling for 45 bucks online. They're already selling on eBay for twice that. We have heard stories like this before where some unruly kids in the house just don't seem to get the idea that you can't do whatever you want, whenever you want. That's it. You've really pulled one this time. I'm taking away your electronics. When do I get it back? I don't know. But give me all your electronics. That's it. You're done. And parents will tell you that that really does get the kids' attention. And that's what happened recently when a mother and father said, that's it, give us your electronics. So guess what the kids did? They stole the family car and started driving. They were found 200 miles away. Nobody's hurt. Oh, did I mention the two kids are aged 10 and 11? Gotta love this guy in California. Crashes into a liquor store, then gets out of the car, walks inside, and still tries to buy some booze. 35-year-old teacher in Indiana arrested last week after she allegedly brought meth to an event at the school called Family Fun Night. She had it hidden in her scrunchie. It was on this date, 1995. It was in Los Angeles interviewing John Travolta and the stars of Get Shorty. 1994 in L.A. It's really embarrassing when you have, on Friday night, seen somebody completely, fully, frontally naked. That was the case with Dana Delaney, star of a movie called Exit to Eden. It was an attempt on Gary Marshall to do a comedy movie with Dan Aykroyd and Rosie O'Donnell and people like that. The movie was awful, but boy, did Dana Delaney look good getting out of that pool. Now you're sitting there three feet from her, and she knows that you've seen everything. It's a very, very odd feeling. On this date, 1988 in Los Angeles, the first time I ever met John Goodman. I'd never heard of him before. And they give you a little synopsis. He's a little like a paragraph or two, a little biography. And you're looking at it. It says that he went to school in Springfield, Missouri. I'm like, oh. And he's like, yeah, I'm from Afton. It was the very, very beginning of John Goodman's career as an actor. True story. I ran the piece on the movie with Tom Hanks and Sally Field and everything like that. But then I I did a second piece where I just focused on John, and we put that on the air. Let's see, 1994, that was Channel 4. And now you fast forward about eh, maybe six months, I get a call from a friend of mine that says, hey, I'm up here in the press box. John Goodman, who by that time had become famous, John Goodman's up here. I hop in the car. It's a Saturday night. I hop in the car and come hauling ass out of Chesterfield all the way downtown, run into the stadium, run up to the press box. They tell me what suite he's in. I knock on the door. The door opens. John Goodman sees me, comes over, and picks me up off the ground. JC, you gave me a fair shot. You gave me a fair shot. He had already been uh, somewhat lubricated at that point, shall we say. And, uh, yeah, he he just lifted me right off my feet like I was a rag doll. And then we uh, subsequently, you know, He was doing a movie every three or four months, and I kept going to California, and there's John again. And I go to New York, and there's John again. go back to California, there's John again. So I interviewed him like a half a dozen times over the course of, I don't know, three or four years. And he's a wonderful man. He really is a good guy. 
And then in 1998 on this date, it was Chicago, where I was interviewing Oprah for a movie called Beloved, which was atrocious, but I get to interview Oprah, which at the time was a big deal, 1998. Went to see Paul McCartney in Minneapolis on this date in 2002, because the promoter said, you know, Paul McCartney's coming to St. Louis, we want to send you and an associate, you guys go up there and see the concert, you tell people how wonderful the concert was, we sell more tickets. Everybody goes away happy. And I'm I'm somewhere along the line here. I'm going to spend some time with this. But it was this date in 1991, a day that will live in infamy. Again, 1991, we're about four and a half years into our stint with The Breakfast Club at 93.7 KSD. We are number one in every key demographic. We were top three or four, even in demographics we weren't trying to get. That's how successful the show was. And I refer to this as Black Wednesday. Total and complete betrayal from everything and everyone around me, which led to my departure, which people still don't know the real story about. But I'm going to tell it one of these days. And finally, thanks to everybody who sent me a note over the weekend for the momentous birthday that I, I almost said celebrated, but it's actually suffered from. Thank you for, uh, thank you for, you know, thinking about me. And a woman got stuck retrieving her Apple Watch from an outhouse. And if you think about it, it's not often you see somebody who owns both an Apple Watch and an outhouse. And with that, the J.C. Corcoran Podcast for Monday, September 25th, 2023 is in the can. We're here every weekday morning, Monday through Thursday at 11, absolutely free. Please spread the word if you can. And if you need me, J.C. at jconline.com. Facebook, The Showgram with J.C. Corcoran. Have a great day. Talk to you in the morning. In the meantime, we've beaten this one to death. Have a good one. See you later. Bye. The J.C. Corcoran Podcast.